you know, when you press in and you just really get to that place with the Lord, everything else just gets real fuzzy, doesn't it? There's that song, when I look into your holiness, when I gaze into your loveliness, when the things that surround become shadows in the light of you. I love that song because it's true. I remember one time I was in, um, many years ago, I was living in Los Angeles and I had lost my job and my boyfriend had broke up with me after I moved all the way out there running after him. See, stay your butt at home. <laughs> but uh, things were not well. The car had broken down. I was out of unemployment. I had a notice under my door, you know, five days or get out. No money for food. It, it was the end of the road for me. And I decided, well, you know, I don't have any place else to go. I'm just going to lock my door, and I'm staying in here, and I'm not coming out till Jesus shows up and tells me something. Amen. You know, you got to have those come-to-Jesus meetings all by yourself sometimes. Amen. And uh, so I decided to just shut myself in. I unplugged the phone. I was not going to be interrupted. And I just began to pray and worship and praise. And it just got so good, all of a sudden, the atmosphere in my room changed. And I knew that he was there. It was so strong that I couldn't even lift my eyes up. I was just afraid of what I would see. And so I, my, my, my eyes were just pinned to the floor, and I could feel him standing in front of me. And he said one sentence, he said, what do you want? Now, I told you my list, right? I was so overwhelmed by his presence, I couldn't think of a thing. You know, I mean, one part of my brain was, was, was saying, girl, you silly. You better tell him you need some rent money and you need this and you need that. But I, I was so overwhelmed by his glory that all of that seemed trivial all of a sudden. Seemed like it wasn't that important. And all I could do was weep and say, Lord, I just want more of you, more of you, more of you. I've been mulling lately because we've been going through so much. So everybody's talking about, you know, stoking up your faith and all of that. And I think that sometimes we stoke up our faith and it's misdirected. Because it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I think we think that means that if we don't believe him for certain things, that he won't be happy with us. But the Lord clarified it for me. He said, without faith, it is impossible to please me. Let's talk about this, Michelle. What pleases me? I said, well, obedience pleases you. Worship pleases you. He says, yes. So what is the faith? What am I supposed to be believing? He says, well, it says that you're supposed to believe that I am. We only have to believe two things. You know that you don't have to believe for the house. You don't have to believe for your mortgage. You don't have to believe for any of that. You, all you have to do is believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It always goes back to him. And if I believe that he is, if I believe that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him, I'm going to be obedient on automatic. And then I'm going to please him. Now, what happens when I please him? Proverbs says that when the king smiles, there is favor. So he's going to bless you with favor now. Amen? And he's going to give you the reward. Now, what is the reward? Is it a Cadillac? Is it a house? He says, I am your great and exceeding reward. I'm going to reward you with myself. Now, understand what that means, though, that when God shows up, he comes fully loaded. Amen? So when he shows up, you can't help but be blessed because he's packed. He's packed with blessings. He's packed with your sufficiency. That's why he is Jehovah Jireh. Think of the names of God, who he is. When he shows up, he is healing. He is provision. He is everything that you need. 
And so I think that we need to redirect our focus because what's happening is if you watch the news every day, you're going to be scrambling. If you listen to the bad news every day, you're going to forget the good news, that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so it's very, very important for us to recalibrate our spirits at this time and get back to basics with God because otherwise the world will distract us and have us running around like chickens with our heads cut off trying to solve all these issues. And I truly believe that God is allowing it to get us back on our face. So we hurry up and get there. We can get through this. Amen? He is, and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so I have to ask you this morning, in light of this new understanding, how is your love life? Look at a neighbor next to you and say, how's your love life? <laughs> That's always a hot topic, isn't it? I think that this is, is the foundation for a Christian because what happens is we come to the Lord and at first we're all excited and most of us come to the Lord out of fear, but we've got to make the transition from fear to faith to love. But if you get stuck at any of the other levels, you will not have a victorious Christian life. Amen? Because sometimes it feels like God's not so good, doesn't it? It's like, well, if he loved me, why would he let me go through this? You know, and so you've got to understand and know why you are in the relationship. You know, when I'm counseling married couples and they want to get a divorce, I always say, well, why did y'all get together in the first place? There was something about each other that you used to like. Now you need to get back to that. Maybe you forgot what you liked about each other. They got buried under a whole bunch of other stuff offense and you know all kinds of doing the business of marriage you forgot to go you're going through the motions and without the emotions even God says return back to your first love he knows what the issue is with us when we slide off the altar you know that's the only problem with a living uh, sacrifice it keeps crawling off the altar because you forget why you got up there in the first place you start focusing on what you think you're missing amen so you always have to constantly re-engage your heart with God. And love is my favorite subject anyway, you know. And I have a favorite little story I like to share. I, uh, one year when I was uh, visiting my dad in Ghana, and we were up in my grandmother's house. Uh, this is when my grandmother was alive, actually. And uh, this, this, couple, this family came by uh, that was visiting from France. They knew my aunt that was living with my grandmother. And, and one of the guys was really cute. I was checking him out. When he came in, I was like, hmm, vacation's going to get interesting. And uh, so, of course, later we did get together and, and had a wonderful, you know, uh, romance over Christmas holidays and made plans for the future. I mean, we're pretty set, you know, pretty fast. My dad was happy. He was finally getting rid of me. And, you know, and everybody was happy, and he was going to go back to Paris and finish getting his architectural degree and, and then join me in Chicago, and we were going to get married and live happily ever after. Well, you know, we went back home, and uh, a couple months later, after the rose colors had faded off, I, I got a Dear Mary letter in the mail from him. You know, that's the female equivalent of the Dear John letter. And the letter said something like this. Dear Michel, I can no longer continue to have this relationship with you. The person in my life must be close to me. I do not like long-distance relationships. And because my degree is taking longer than I thought, I must end this because I, I love you, I respect you too much to lead you on. Therefore, I must end it. Farewell, Yan. And I was kind of like, well, what's his issue? I mean, I like the idea of having a boyfriend somewhere. I like the idea that somebody was thinking about me and longing after me and loving me out there somewhere. You see, what it really came down to for me was that I loved the idea of a relationship, but not necessarily the responsibility. And I think that's true of, of a lot of us, with, with each other and with God. 
We love the idea of God loving us and blessing us without the responsibility of what that means on our end. So I went to God and I said, God, you know, I'm having issues. Go get him. Deal with him. Shake him, wake him, roll him over, straighten him out, and give him back to me. <laughs> but the Lord said, I'm not going to do that because I agree with him. I don't like long-distance relationships either. Mm-hmm. And then he reminded me of a time in scripture when the Israelites were going through on their way to the promised land. And he spoke to Moses in Exodus and said, you know, gather them all together at the foot of the mountain. Tell them to wash themselves, wash their clothes, abstain from sex for three days and meet me at the foot of the mountain. He didn't even want the residue of any other relationships to stand between him and them when they finally got together. And so they gathered at the foot of the mountain, remember? And he came down and he spoke the Ten Commandments to them. Yes, they were spoken before they were written. Did you know that? I really believe that in God's heart, he never wanted to have to write to us. I believe that he wanted to continue the same interaction that he had started with Adam in the garden. Coming down and meeting with him personally, speaking to him day in the cool of the evening remember that song I love that old song and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own I mean that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about I mean God wanted to have that personal in your face up close okay exchange with us on a daily basis where we actually looked forward to it, where we craved it, and we went looking for him in the cool of the evening. But they got crazy. They got overwhelmed by the presence of God. And it says in Exodus 20, 18, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid. Now see, today we would love that. That'd be special effects to us. Amen. We'd be like, woo, Spielberg, do your thing. God did this all by himself without Spielberg. Says they were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Because we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, if you respect God, you will not despise his word. Amen? We see all the calamity and the chaos, and everybody says, where is the fear of God? It's gone. Because if we truly feared God, we would not say the things we say. We would not do the things we do. Amen? And so they said, we don't want to talk. And they were right. They were right about one thing. They said, if we talk to him, we will die. We know that no flesh can glory in the presence of God. So every time that we go in to meet with God, something dies. Something's got to fall off. Our spirit is like a big onion, and he just keeps pulling the layers off till he gets to the center of it where he abides in us. Amen? I think that Isaiah summed it up best because I was thinking, why is it that we run from the presence of God? Because when you've had a really good session of just pressing in with God and worshiping him, doesn't it feel good? And you go, man, how come I don't do this more often? I mean, this is just juicy, Lord. It's just good. But what is it? Why do we run the other way when we know it's so good? He's not broccoli. Right? But I think that we experienced what Isaiah did. Remember when Isaiah said, in the year King Uzziah died, I, and I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And I said, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips. I believe that we run from the presence of God because when we enter his presence and we see him as he truly is, we also see ourselves as we truly are. And sometimes that's not a pretty picture. 
And so we run from it. We're afraid of the silence because we're afraid of what he'll say to us, of what we'll be responsible for after he's spoken to us. And so we say, I don't want to hear that right now. And so we run the other way. But God is beckoning us and calling us back into his presence. And the other reason that we don't like being there is because you know what was so sweet about that exchange was after Isaiah confessed where he was and who he was, God was so gracious. He sent an angel to put a coat on his lips he said now your sins are forgiven and you've been cleansed who did the work God did the work he says come though you're you may be as scarlet your sin may be as scarlet I will make you white as snow he doesn't say you will he says he will he says all you got to do is show up and come clean with me and I will do the cleansing He's so gracious. He loves you so much. He knows you cannot do it on your own. He says, just show up and be real with me, and I will do the rest. And then the other reason we don't like getting in his presence is because then he rearranges our agenda. Mm-hmm. Isaiah was there, and, you know, after they got past that little snafu, he overheard conversations that God was having in heaven. And God was concerned about some stuff in the earth. And he said, well, who can I send to deal with these knuckleheaded people? <laughs> and Isaiah, before he could even think about it, he was so caught up in the glory of God, he raised his hand and said, here am I, send me. And I'm sure the minute he did that, he said, oh, why did I do that? You know, Isaiah was a wealthy man. He ended up wandering the streets naked and stuff, you know. I mean, that was not the lifestyle he was used to. God, if you give him an inch, he will take your whole life. And we're afraid of that. I don't want to do what, I, don't you, I've got plans. I've got a life to catch. If you just let me get these few things out of the way, then I'll do what you want me to do. But we're so afraid that God will take our lives and run with it and completely rearrange everything. For a long time when I was an unhappy single, and people would say, well, God's not going to let you get married until you get happy. But you know, I was afraid of getting happy because I really felt that if I got happy, then he would just keep me there and say, good. Now, that's terrible. I mean, you know. God is not like that. But it's amazing how much we fear what he will do with our lives, not realizing that he knows better than we know what we really want, long for. And in the end, he gives us the desires of our heart. We like to take that scripture and make it our desires, but it's really talking about when we're so delighted in him, our heart literally gets rearranged to want what he wants. And then we're both happy. Because when God is happy, you're going to be happy. Amen? And so then the other thing was, so, I mean, Isaiah realized that he had put his life out there. And so he goes, how long do I have to keep this up? And God gave him a time span. And he went on and did what God called him to do. And he was a blessed man. But the other reason that we don't like to go into the presence of God is because we're afraid of how it will affect our other relationships. Remember when Moses went up in the mountain and he spent all that time up there and when he came down, his face was glowing and it was glowing so bright that the people could not look at him. Remember that? And so he had to put a veil over his face when he saw them, and he would only take it off when he was in the presence of God. And I thought, you know how sad, because we got a whole lot of veiled Christians these days. In the marketplace, we go into the marketplace, and we put on our veil. And we don't say things when we should say things. And we laugh at stuff we shouldn't laugh at. Amen? Because of the way the people respond to our face when our countenance is filled with the glory and the presence of God. So many reasons for avoiding his presence. But why can we not afford to run from God? One simple thing. These people wanted to get to the promised land. You have a promise that you want to get from God. And without his presence, you can't get there. They didn't realize that day when they forfeited the presence of God that they also forfeited the promise of God. Because later, as they trekked through the wilderness for God, you, we know how long, right? 
It was finally time for them to go in. And here's God talking to Joshua and Caleb and the others. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's time to go in and possess the land. Go and see the land that I'm about to give you. Now, what did he say? Go and look at it. He didn't say go and see if you can take it. He said, go and see the land that I am going to give you. They went and started scoping around and came back all fearful. Oh, there's giants in the land. Then they started discussing amongst themselves if they could go in or not, much to the displeasure of God, which I'm sure was no surprise to him because when you forfeit intimacy with God, you forfeit the knowledge of who he is, and if you don't know him, you cannot love him, and if you don't love him, you cannot trust him, and if you can't trust him, you can't have the faith you need to do what he tells you to do, because you don't know if he's going to show up, and so when they forfeited that presence, they forfeited the promise. None of those people got to go in. While they were grumbling about how hard it was going to be, uh, Moses knew that God was not happy, and he raised the Pentecostal finger and excused himself <laughs> and went into the presence of God, and God said, just stand back. I'm so disgusted with them. I'm just going to wipe them all out and make me some new people and move on. And Moses said, man, you can't do that. Everybody's watching. They're going to say, don't you know all those people that saw you bring, bring us out of Egypt will say, what kind of God is that? Bringing them people out and then killing them in the middle of the day. Your reputation is at stake. You got to do something. You can't kill them. And so God said, okay, because you are my friend. See, you got to be friends with somebody to get a favor. If you're walking down the street, somebody asked you to loan them $100, you say, I don't know you. I'm not giving you anything. But if you know him, you say, here, because I know where you live. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Based on relationship, you're willing to do a favor. He said, okay, because you're my friend, I'm not going to do that. He says, I'm not going to kill him now. I'll just walk him to death. We'll make a compromise. Amen. So they wandered for 40 years until all the people who were the generation of unbelief could be done away with because he knew that they had to have a united heart of faith to take possession of the land. He said only Joshua and Caleb will go in. Why Joshua and Caleb? Well, both of them spent time with the Lord. It said that Joshua would go into the tent Long after the people, you know, Moses would go into the tent of the meetings, okay, and he would sit there, and the glory cloud would come down, and the people would stand in the doorways of their tents and watch until Moses came out. Now, see, I'm too nosy for that. I would have had to creep up in there to see what was going on. I would have had to be eavesdropping to say, is God really in there? What is he saying? Well, Joshua went in with Moses, and it says that Joshua would stay in the tent long after Moses left. So Joshua communed with God himself. Caleb went up on the mountain and saw God. And he also, God said this about Caleb. He said, I like Caleb. He literally said, he said, I like him. You know why I like him? Because he has followed me wholeheartedly all the days of his life. And he's got a different spirit. When I read that, I said, oh, Lord, I want a different spirit. I want to follow you wholeheartedly all my life and have the reputation for having a different spirit. I don't want to be a cookie-cutter saint. I want to be a unique individual and vessel for you, one that you look at and you're proud of, that you like to show off in your hall and say, have you seen this one? This is my Michelle vase. I love that vase. They forfeited the promise. And only the two people who pressed in and knew God had the faith. What did they say when the, when the spies came back? They said, oh, we can do this. Because they believed that he was and that he was the rewarder of those who diligently sought him. They said, we can do this. Let's just go take this thing. And everybody was like, no, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't do that. So God said, okay, fine. You're not going to go then. See, the thing about faith that's interesting, because we get so many mixed up philosophies. You know, God doesn't need your faith. He said to Job, 
Where were you when I created all of this? I spoke all this stuff into existence without your help, without your agreement, without your faith. I don't need your faith. The faith is for you so that you'll be obedient in order to please God. The faith is what empowers you to do what God says. If you were walking around, say that God gave you a check for a million dollars. You just got a check in the mail. One day it said a million dollars on it, signed by God. You looked at the check and said, this is a, this is a, this is a joke. So you walk around with the check, but you have no money. You keep complaining. And the Spirit of the Lord speaks to you and says, cash that check you got in the mail. And you go, no, nah, that check ain't real. <laughs> now nah, they throw me out the bank with that. They might try to arrest me and say that I've got a, you know, forged check. I can't take this check to the bank. Lord, I need some money. Cash the check. And then one day out of desperation, you say, well, let me just go see. And you take that check and the teller looks at it. Runs it under the thing and hands you a million dollars. You see, your faith is what motivates you and empowers you to go and cash the check that God has written for your life. He's not just writing financial checks. He's writing relationship checks. He's writing, he's writing professional checks. He's writing dream checks. Are you cashing them? Do you have the faith to cash the check that God has written for your life? Well, I, I want that. I want what God has. How, how, do I, how do I get there? We've got to redirect our hearts to the right place. I love the story of the Shulamite woman. We go looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. You know what I mean? The Shulamite woman in Song of Songs said, On my bed I sought him whom my soul loves. And I said to myself, I will get up and I will go out and seek him whom my soul loves. I love Song of Songs. They didn't let you read that till you were 30 in Jewish days. And so she said she went out into the streets and she ran into the watchman. And, and she said, have you seen him whom my soul loves? But they didn't know anything about what she was looking for. So she says, after I pressed past them, I found him. So we got to press past some stuff to find him. And she said that when she found him, she held him, and she would not let him go. Woo! Now, see, we start off good. You know, God blesses us. We have a little honeymoon period with him, and then we get distracted. So sure enough, you know, the man went off somewhere, and, and it says he came back a couple nights, you know, a couple chapters later. He was outside knocking on a door, and she said, uh, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. You know what? The flesh is weak, but the spirit is always willing. The spirit is always seeking God long after we've grown weary. And he comes knocking. He says, lo, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone open to me, I will come in and sup with them. But sometimes we're just tired. We're like the Shulamite woman. Oh, I just got in the bed. Do I need to get up and put on my robe? I just washed my feet. They're going to get dirty. It's just so inconvenient, Lord. Because you know he always knocks at 3 o'clock in the morning. When I wake up at 3, I know it's him because there is no other reason for me to get up. <laughs> and I was going to say, Lord, can't we talk about 10 o'clock? No, because the phone is ringing. <laughs> and sometimes I miss the moment because my flesh just weighs in and stronger than my spirit, and I go back to sleep. And when I wake up and I'm ready to reconvene, he's moved on to the next thing. I'm like, come on back, God. He says, no, you missed it. I'll see you tomorrow morning, same time, same place. It said by the time she got up, the man was gone, right? And she said, oh, I longed even for the sound of his voice. And she ran out in the street looking for him and ran into those same watchmen. You know, when you move from under the cover of God, the same issues you were dealing with before you came to him come back. And they come back stronger. It says that they ripped off her veil and they smacked her around. You know, you open yourself up to be bruised and used by those things that God had settled in your life. 
And in the end, she's struggling, and she's calling out to her girlfriends, daughters of Zion, can you find him whom my soul loves? If you see him and you find him, tell him that I am sick with the longing for love. Anybody in the house sick with the longing for love? And they looked at her. They were sister girls, you know. Why should we go looking for him? Why is your lover better than any other? Why? Really what they were saying is, who is he and what is he to you? And this is an issue that we all must settle within ourselves. Because, see, when we come to the Lord, we come through this whole religious haze at first. We're indoctrinated. You know what I mean? I mean, you come to the Lord, you're all excited, and then you start learning all the do's and don'ts. I remember the first time I really fell in love. I, anybody in here remember the first time they fell in love? Child, me too. His name was Roy. And Roy was such a joy, I called him Roy Joy. Okay? He walked through snowstorms for me. He sent me cards every week. We, we had a special date. He was so romantic. And we would talk morning, noon, and night. Sometimes we didn't even have anything to talk about. We'd just sit on the phone, just breathe. <sighs> and you know, my mother thought I was too young to be in that deep in a relationship. So she started laying down the law. I could only talk to him so long on the phone. I could only see him so many times a week. And she had all these rules, and it just took the fun out of being in love. So I go off to New York to visit my aunt for the summer, and there I met Brian. Now see, <laughs> there weren't any rules associated with Brian, and so I just got, had myself a jolly good time, you know. But of course, summer came to an end, and I had to go back home and face Roy. And I was so embarrassed and so ashamed of myself for being unfaithful, I did an ad on my head. And that was kind of hard to do because, you know, I lived at 777 Apple Avenue and he lived at 999 Orchard. Apple Orchard, that's how we had known it was fate in the first place. <laughs> and so he saw my car, you know, coming in and out of the driveway and everything. He watched for three weeks until my relationship with Brian fizzled out because it was a long distance relationship and distance dissipates passion. Eventually, it was going to die. There was no way to nurture it. So I crawled back to Roy, because I really did love Roy, and I knew that Roy loved me. So I crawled back to him, and he was standing there in the doorway looking like he was waiting forever, you know. And he said, well, what took you so long to get here? And we ended up in an argument. We kissed and made up, but we didn't have what it took to make it work. Too young to know how to do that. Why do I bring that up? Because I believe that's the same thing that happens to us with the Lord. We come to him, we're excited, we're having a love fest, and then folks get hold of us and start giving us the rules. You can't do this anymore. Can't do that anymore. Got to stop that. Get rid of that. Can't talk to that person anymore. Can't go there anymore. By the time it's done, the joy of loving God is gone. David had to say, return to me the joy of my salvation. And we start going through the motions without the emotions. We forgot why we came in in the first place. We forget that sweetness that we once had with God. And we have to get back to the question that these women asked. Who is he and what is he to you? I remember one day going for a voiceover audition and my agent said to me, Michelle, is there a man in your life? I haven't heard you talk about a man in a long time. I said, oh, yeah, I have a man. She said, really? Well, tell me about him. I said, oh, very wealthy. She said, really? Well, what does he do? I said, oh, into real estate, owns everything. <laughs> she said, really? She said, well, where's he been? When can I meet him? I said, well, you can meet him anytime. She says, well, tell me about him. I said, well, he's faithful. That's important to me. He never lies. He does what he says he's going to do. He's always available. If I call him in the middle of the night, he perks right up and talks to me. Never puts me on hold. He loves to give me good things. <laughs> Amen. And 
she said, well, where has he been? I haven't really seen you. And I said, well, he's off building me a house right now. She said, well, when will he be back? I said, any day now. Hallelujah. She said, you're talking about God, aren't you? I said, yeah. That's my man. That's a lover of my soul. Everything I got, I have because of him. Every good and perfect gift. Amen? And so, who is he? What is he to you? See, it can't just be the person that you learned about by rote. He's the lily of the valley. He's the lighted bright and morning star. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's Jehovah Nisi. You know, we learn all this. But what does that mean to you personally? We talk about, well, he's my personal Lord and Savior. Well, he can't be your personal Lord and Savior because he's got me too. He's mine too. So what is he to you? I remember being at a, a retreat one day and I was sharing about the love of God and him being the lover of my soul. And I guess I got to them really good with it because after lunch I got on the elevator and one of the women said, well, what'd you do during the lunch? I said, well, I took a nap with my husband. She said, oh yeah, well then your husband is a player because he was with me at lunchtime. <laughs> I said, well, see, that's, that's, that's how good he is. He can have a million women and make me feel like I'm the only one. And what is he to you? Now, the only way that you can nurture that type of relationship and have that passionate, outrageous, over-the-top, joyous relationship with God where he makes you giggle in the midnight hour. I mean, I've had dreams where Jesus picked me up and was just twirling me around. I was laughing so hard. When I woke up, I was out of breath. And I said, Lord, did you really do that or was I dreaming? He will visit you. In your own way. And brothers, that's for you too. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Amen? He's got your back. He's your homie. He's the one that you can be real with, that you can be vulnerable with when you can't trust what you got to a woman. You can pour it all out to him, and he's there for you. And he is the manliest of the manly. He's a romantic warrior. He can slay dragons but love on you in a vulnerable way. I love it. There's no one like him. The Shulamite woman described her lover and said, oh, he's got black, thick, wavy hair. He's the fairest of 10,000. His shoulders are like this, and his legs are like that, and his arms are like this, and his tongue is sweet. And by the time she was finished, everybody was like, which way you think he went? We're going to help you find. Because, see, when you're really in love, and you know who you're dealing with. It shows in your countenance, and everybody wants something that's good. How do you get that? I'll sum this up quickly. First of all, return to his word. And if you're struggling with, with understanding it, there are so many wonderful versions of the word now. The message, the New Living Translation, the English Standard Version, those are my three favorite. But just read it, and read it like it's People magazine. And, and I, I want you to stop reading the, the book just for your rights. You know, we look at it as five ways to, for financial freedom and ten ways to stomp on the devil's head. No, just look for him. He'll take care of all that other stuff. Just look for him. What makes God tick? What does he like? What makes him laugh? What makes him weep? What makes him angry? What makes him upset? What's his favorite food? I think it's barbecue. <laughs> Burnt offerings, that works for me, barbecue. <laughs> what do you really know about him? You should have your own stories to tell about things that God said to you and things that he revealed to you, things that just tickle your fancy, things that are your own personal secrets with God. I'm challenging you and pushing your buttons this morning to press into another level of loving him because you're going to need it to sustain you during these times. And then he's going to wake you up and give you creative ideas and witty inventions because you are friends. He's going to open the secret wells to you and show you streams in the desert because he's promised 
that during this time, those who know him and seek him will flourish and thrive when everyone else is dying on the vine. And then prayer takes on a whole new luster because you know who you're talking to. You know, when you meet a stranger, you'll always have a surface conversation. But when you're talking to the lover of your soul, your conversation is going to go deep. It's not going to be just about you. It's going to be about him. There are going to be times when you're just going to press into his presence and say, you know, I don't have anything to ask for today. How you doing? What's on your heart? Then you're going to hear some stuff, okay? I remember one year I went to Africa, and uh, my dad had an attitude the whole time I was there. I was like, what is his problem, you know? And so my aunt came to visit me. Actually, I woke up one morning, and she was just sitting at the foot of my bed waiting. She had just let herself in and just quietly sat there waiting in the chair at the foot of my bed. I woke up, I was like, whoa. And she said, Ayo, I have to talk to you. I said, what? She said, your father is not pleased with you at all. I said, why? He says that you don't come to visit him. What? I spent $3,000 to get here. What is he talking about? I've been here for three weeks. Who else did I come to see? She said, no. He said, you come, and you come in and out. You go and you visit your friends and your cousins, and you don't spend time with him. He does not feel you really come to visit him. I said, but that's not true, Auntie Alba. I come down every morning, and I sit there, and I have breakfast, and he doesn't say anything. If he wants me to do something, why don't he just say so? She says, no. You are the daughter. He is the father. You should say, Daddy, what is your program? What do you want to do? She said, I said, but he doesn't say anything. I asked him that the other day. She said, well, then you must wait. Just wait. I said, okay, fine. So I went downstairs and I said, hello, Daddy, how are you? He said, hmm. <laughs> and we sat down and we ate our breakfast. He didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I just sat there looking at him. I finished my breakfast. He wasn't finished with his, so I just sat there and I waited. And I waited. I think he had about 10 pieces of toast that morning just to drag it out. <laughs> and I waited and I waited. Finally, when he was done, he put down his fork and his knife, and he said, you know, and he just started talking. And he talked for like the next two hours. I didn't even know he had that many words in his head. I was like. And he said, oh, this is nice. Let's go to lunch. Let's go. We spent the whole day together. And I found out all kinds of fascinating things about my dad. I found out that he had played in a band in England during school for money as a student, that he played the guitar. I found out all kinds of things I never knew about my father. It was amazing. So that evening, Auntie Alba came by. She said, so. How was it? I said, Auntie Alba, it was great. It was wonderful. I learned all this. She said, you see, he just wanted to know that you were interested in what was on his heart. Are you interested in what is on God's heart? Do you know your place in the relationship? Do you understand that God is not Santa Claus? That he's your father? That he wants you to visit him, not to be distracted with other people and other things, and that you literally on purpose seek him and wait in his presence to hear what he wants to share. That's when he reveals himself and gives you understanding. That's when your prayer life becomes alive and it's no longer boring. And that's when you fall in love. And guess what happens when you fall in love? You become obedient on automatic. Because, see, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He didn't say if you know your word, if you go to church, if your parents raise you right. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in those moments when you don't feel like it, uh, obedience is better than sacrifice. But most of the time, he wants you to be moved by love so that you're a cheerful giver, so that you happily do what he says to do. Where literally your desires change because you're in love. Now, I don't know about you ladies, but I have changed some habits from falling in love with guys. 
I have changed the color of my hair, the clothes I wear. I learned to eat sushi with one guy. I thought that was just gross, and he liked it, so I had to like it too. My taste in music changed for another one because he liked rock music, so we listened to rock music. We love what they love, and we hate what they hate. That translates to God. So as the musicians come and play softly, I, I just want to ask you to consider your love life this morning. And some of you might say, well, I've never met him or I've never been engaged the way that, that you talk about this morning, Michelle. And some of you are saying, oh, yes, I remember that place of where I was so enthusiastic to run into his presence. And when I first came to the Lord, I could fast at the drop of a hat, and I got to pray up a fast. Check your love level. If you're struggling with anything in your life that you know, Hurts the heart of God. Check your love level. God, when he was speaking to the church in Revelation, said, remember the height from which you have fallen. He says, you do everything good. I mean, you go through the, the motions without the emotions. You do everything right. You despise evil. You, you've, you, you know, you've, you've separated the bad, wicked people out of your midst. You do all that stuff. You've crossed all your little theological T's and dotted your, your spiritual I's. But I just got this one problem with you guys. I'm not feeling the love. Return to your first love. Remember. Remember how we started out. He said, repent. You need to apologize to me because I'm offended. And then do the things you used to do. Make me feel the way you used to make me feel. It's the same secret that works in marriage. Remember your first love. Go back and do what you used to do. Recapture what you lost. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to think back to where you were before you met him. What were you going through? What were you struggling with? What were your needs? What were the words that gave you hope that made you say, hmm, maybe I've been running after all the wrong things? Do you remember where you were? who was talking to you, maybe you were sharing with a friend and that friend just reached out and took your hand and said, do you know Jesus? He's what you need. Or perhaps you were at church and, and the preacher was talking and, and he said, come on down, come on down. I know there's one more, there's one more. And you were sitting there battling with yourself. Am I ready for this? And the spirit was saying yes. Where were you when you reached out your hand, your heart to him. And you bowed your head and you said that prayer. Oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I know you died for me. I accept the payment of your blood for my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my everything. Do you remember how you felt after you prayed that prayer? Do you remember the first person you told? Remember the day. And get back to that place in him. Perhaps there's one that says, I'd like to experience that this morning. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to meet him. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. If you'd come. I, I know there's a lady up here who will pray with you. Praise the Lord. You know, there's a party that just broke out in heaven. It says that heaven rejoices over one soul. Praise God. That's what it's all about. He gave his life for you. And now perhaps there's one that'll say, you know, Michelle, I know the Lord, but I have to confess, I've been having a pretty dry love life. I want that flame burning in my heart again. I want a refreshing of my love life with him. If that's you, can I see your hand? I just want that glow back in my face, and 
I just want to be excited about him again. You know, I've just been struggling with so many things. And, and you know, it's not that I don't love the Lord, but I have allowed myself to get distracted with the cares of the world. I've been burdened down and I, I, I didn't even realize I'd started trying to solve my own problems. If that's you, stand so I can pray with you. I just need a refreshing. I just need a, a restoration. I need my heart to be on fire again. I need to feel like I first felt. Andre Krauss used to sing that song, Take Me Back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Come and let them pray with you. Now is your time. It's your time for refreshing. It's your time for restoration. It's your time for renewal. God is always willing to start all over again. Perhaps today your heart's just dry. And you just need another touch from him. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. If you know it, sing it. Reach out to him. You alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship you. As the deer, let's try it one more time. As the deer panteth forth the water so my soul longeth after thee. You Desire and I long to worship you. You alone. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship you. I pray that you've been challenged this morning to bump up your love life and watch how God shows up and shows out in your life. God bless you.